Assalamu alaikum brothers and sisters. Welcome to the Big Muslim Family Podcast. I'm your host, Brother Mark Adam, and this is the podcast where we talk to Muslim brothers and sisters from around the world and get them to share with us their unique perspectives of growing up in their country. Also, we cover other inspirational Muslim stories such as reverts making their way back to Islam and migrants who left their home country seeking a better life. Thank you for joining us and don't forget to connect with us on our social channels. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Welcome to another episode of the Big Muslim Family Podcast. This is your host, Brother Mark Adam. I hope that wherever you are listening to this, you are healthy and safe, inshallah. In this week's episode, I speak with Brother Daniel from Cape Town, South Africa. Brother Daniel is a reverb brother who works as a structural modeler or draft person which includes bridges and buildings. His interests are the Deen of Allah, trying to keep fit, spending time with those he loves, and also traveling the country and going on walks. In this episode, we discuss Brother Daniel's religious upbringing and what happens with his relationship with his family when he starts to learn more about Islam. So let's get into it and let's listen to part one of Brother Daniel's journey back to Islam. Assalamu alaikum, everyone. Welcome to this episode. I have a, a, a brother here, all the way from South Africa, Brother Daniel. Assalamu alaikum, and welcome to the Big Muslim Family Podcast. How are you doing, brother? Alhamdulillah, so. Alhamdulillah, I'm doing well. Alhamdulillah, and uh, it's uh, you're telling me it's a beautiful day there in uh, Cape Town, South Africa. Yeah, it's quite uh, rainy this morning, so it's nice and overcast and nice and cool. Don't want to get out of bed, really. <laughs> but it's lovely, yeah. It's nice. Nice and cool, yeah. So, thank you for coming onto the show and taking some time out on your weekend. And uh, I know that what I'd like to do is uh, we'd like to get to know you, brother, a bit more before your, you know, how you grew up and, and, and what was it like. So, did you spend all your time in, in uh, Cape Town? Yes, born and bred in Cape Town. Never went any, never really traveled anywhere else besides the country itself, but always in Cape Town. Okay, alhamdulillah. alhamdulillah. And so tell us what, what it's like living in Cape Town. Uh, it, it all depends what side you actually live. Cape Town is more of a melting pot of different cultures. So, so if you, m- most people like to talk about uh, the Malay quarter in Cape Town. There's a lot of Malays that, that uh, settled in the Cape, you know, with the old slave trade and all of those kind of things, you know. So from that side, there's a lot of Malays, or, or they like to be called or termed Cape Malays, that are staying there. But also in between and around and about, you get a lot of Europeans. There's a lot of Asians as well, obviously Africans as well. And in I myself, I'm part of Dutch and part of a local descent, you know. So Cape Town is, is pretty much a melting pot of different cultures. Everybody seems to blend well, pretty well. You know what I mean? So you get a lot of like a friendly feel from everybody that's staying around here, you know. But obviously in every community, you also get your 
kind of your rough areas where it's a little bit undeveloped, uh, underdeveloped and it's quite bad, you know. I'm sure gangsterism is not secluded to any city in the world. It's all over. And that's what we also have here. But furthermore than that, Cape Town is pretty nice. We've got Turkish people that live in Cape Town as well. It's it's just a whole different melting pot that you need to experience for yourself, you know. It's lovely living in Cape Town. It's uh, quite relaxed. It's chilled. And that's sometimes a bad thing <laughs> because when pressure gets to, especially from a work aspect, then it becomes a bit difficult. Like if you switching provinces, you'll see some other provinces, they tend to uh, work a little bit faster or other than Cape Town, where it's very much chilled here. So yeah, that's pretty much how Cape Town is. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Thank you for that uh, great uh, summary of Cape Town there. So can I ask you, you let's, I want to touch on your heritage yourself. Can you explain mm-hmm. a little bit more about you know, where your parents came from? Okay, so basically from my mother's side, I have a great-grandfather that actually came from Germany. That's my grandma's side. And he basically married a local woman in the area. They were known as the Sun people, you know what I'm saying? But they actually came from St. Helena, the St. Helena Islands. It's a little bit further up the coast and they came down here. But then also my grandfather from my mother's side, his father was again Irish. And hence the surname O'Connor comes from that side. He also married a local woman from the area. And then from my father's side, it's a little bit, complex i'm still trying to find out a little bit more from that but as far as i know my father's my great-grandfather's side is dutch and also married a local woman in the area so you could see like a lot of the travelers that came around here they tend to marry the the local females in the area at the time so that's pretty much my heritage since the surname monofelt actually comes from dutch origin and my grand my i mean my from my mother's side their surname is uh, o'connor which is the Irish one, but yeah. then also Kisbeta, which was from the, the from my grand grand great grandfather's side, was the Kisbetas, which came from Germany. So yeah, it's quite intertwined and quite complex. <laughs> quite the melting pot there, is it? Yeah, alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. Yeah. That's uh, that's amazing. So I I just wanted to ask you when when you were growing up, were they? Is it did you grow up in a very religious household? Yes, I did. My father, he is a priest, but he's relieved of his ministries now at the moment. It's almost like they belong to the New Apostolic Church, which I grew up in, actually. What and was, what I, was the, the, the name of the church? Neo? New Apostolic. New Apostolic. A new Apostolic Church. Okay. Yeah, you'll see it. There's quite a few in Singapore as well and all over the world, actually. And my father... He, the way they work with their ministries is almost like retirement age. So if you reach retirement age in your company in a business, it's normally around 60, 65. Then they step down from their religious duties, but they still carry the ministry. So yeah, I did grow up in, a, I would say, quite a staunch Christian home in the sense that my father was a preacher and is a priest. And which obviously every morning, every Sunday morning I was in church and every Wednesday night was also church. And on a Thursday evening, we had, we would have something called choir practice, where you'd go and you'd basically learn hymns of praise. And But their choirs are more structured than the other faiths, I would say, in, in the terms of that they actually use proper musical elements. They'll use a score and they'll use organs and violins and, and musical instruments. So it's very structured, you know what I'm saying? So that basically was my life. And at a certain age, I think I was... 
I think I was 20, 20. And then I was approached to be asked to become a deacon in the New Apostolic Church as well. And then I accepted that responsibility as well to become a deacon in the church, you know. So so growing up, very religious, good moral ethics, you know. Yeah, that's how it went. <laughs> wow, subhanAllah. Subhanallah. So you were really, you know, really into it, I guess, to be called yeah, upon yes. as a deacon as well. Yeah. So what does yeah. it, uh, sorry, how, forgive me if I ignorance, but as a deacon, what are your responsibilities to? Okay. Okay, so basically... Being a deacon in the church, you would actually um, go to what is termed family points. And family points are almost like I would come to your household and you would have yourself, your wife and your kids. right? So what I would do is I'd come and find out if, if the family is doing OK. You know, if basically preparing the family for the family visit from the priest, because normally a deacon works with a priest. You are almost like a. How could I term like a under priest in in a sense where you don't okay. have duties in terms of giving holy communion and all you know how it goes giving holy communion and things like that, but you are I mean you can pray for the family you can give them advice from the Bible you know all of those kind of things that's what I used to do and basically just like prepare the family for the priest to come because then you would actually understand what is going on in the family, you know, if everything is uh, is fine, if there's things that needs to be worked on, you know, those kind of things. And also one of the main responsibilities of the deacon is also to be a choir conductor. I was as well. So my music knowledge is very deep. I used to be an opera singer as well in the church. SubhanAllah. So yeah, I'm actually what you could high baritone if we would speak about music. So, so that's that was basically my life, you know, growing up, going to choirs, special choirs, looking after family points, and those kind of things. Subhanallah, that's uh, that's really amazing. And yeah. can I just ask you, with because I know you had a few other things going on, what were the other kind of hobbies or things that you took up during this, I guess, in your teenage years to your young adult years? Yeah, most of my hobbies is I was still term kind of what I am still doing today but not at a great extent I used to I used to cycle and stuff like that but that was very recreational but my interest mainly lied uh, or yeah lied in martial arts bodybuilding training and things like that you know I had my touch and go with fishing and all of those kind of things but it was never really for me the only reason why I quit martial arts is also because the time you know uh, the the older you get, the more responsibilities you get. So you kind of need to settle on one thing. So I just rather decided to settle on doing the bodybuilding and the powerlifting, you know, nutrition, training, those kind of things. So yeah, that's the hobbies that I grew up with in a sense, yeah. Alhamdulillah. So I, I but those actually do require discipline, you know, those uh, you know, yeah. being martial artists and being a bodybuilder does require a lot of discipline. And I want to ask you, during all this time, I know that Cape Town is a melting pot for different cultures and things like that. So what did you know about Islam growing up? Very little, actually. I've, I knew very little of Islam in the sense of I, because you are so, so involved in the aspect of the church work and what their type of da'awah is, you are mostly involved with the church members. Like you grow up with, with the brothers and the sisters, you know, like in the youth and the, the children with the Sunday school and you do like, when, I mean, as you're growing up, you are with a like always, it's almost like in the fold in a sense, like, you know, you're always with, with this, with with the new apostolic Christians, you know, it's almost like 
they have this ideology that you would find your partner in the church kind of a thing. So it's almost like they cultivate this kind of, how can I say, not attitude, but a, a type of, of, of upbringing where you are surrounded by what would be termed like a godly a feeling with everybody around you and everybody's feeling the same and they're basically doing the same thing. You know what I'm saying? So that was basically my life. I never really knew what Islam was. I had a few friends, but it's like friends don't really allude to Islam, you know, in a certain sense. And for me, that was a little bit, how can I not say it? It, it, it was a little bit not worrying, but it, it, it was it was scary for me because, I mean, I mean, me growing up, you know, it's like you are always propagating your dean. You know, you are always saying who you are proud, what they would call I'm a child of God. You know what I'm trying to say? And you would go and you would spread your da'wah. People ask you about your religion. That's why the, 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 the new apostolic Christians are often known as the, the stern ones or the, sto- the staunch ones. Because whenever you ask them about their religion, they're always on point with it. You know what I'm saying? Oh, and okay. for me... Yeah, I had a few Muslim friends, but it's like they would never really talk about their religion until you asked them. And yeah, so for me, the idea that I had of Islam was, oh, Muslims worship a moon god, which is a very common belief among non-Muslims, that they worship the moon god and those kind of things. Where there is no such thing as a moon god, you know? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, was, I've, we don't. Yeah. I wouldn't say that we get that here, I guess, but that's a very interesting perspective that over there. Yeah, I guess, are you saying that like with, with where you were from, you were kind of in your own kind of bubble there? You would say, but also an international bubble because of the new apostolic structure of the church. It's, it's very international with the headquarters being in Switzerland. So it's a very international type of movement. You also find them in Dubai as well. They they are in some Middle Eastern Arab countries as well. So, so yeah, it's, you're always in that setting in a way. Mashallah, mashallah. Wow, wow. Uh, that is this interesting origin that you're coming <laughs> from here, yeah. background. So, yeah. okay, so then what is, uh, you were talking about your, you have a few Muslim friends and, and things like that. So what started making you or what was the kind of thing that made you start to look into more into Islam? Okay, for me, it wasn't the friends or anything like that. Yeah, basically, I, I was actually mainly interested in what you could term conspiracy theories. I was a huge conspiracy theorist back in the days, you know, and how the world was going to end and all of those kind of things. And then I have a very close Muslim friend and I, I still have him up till today. I think I know him for about, yeah, I know him for about 13 years uh, and I'm Muslim now, 10 years, alhamdulillah. And slowly, he was actually the one that used to make me think a little bit more. You know what I'm saying? And I, would actually, I wouldn't actually term him as part of the other friends that I used to have, you know, because me, he always used to make me think. And I would actually, the more I would actually read about or understand the signs of the ends of the world according to hadith, you know, how it's all unfolding and how things are changing, you know, mm. that is what actually captured my attention. You know what I'm saying? And, and that is how I actually came to know about Islam. But that... But yeah, it's, it was him helping me a lot also. But then I also decided, you know what, man, let me rather just sit down. I've never done this before. And, and you know, as Muslims, we also fall short of this where we actually would take our religious script and actually read the whole script. And I decided at, at the time, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to sit and I'm going to read the Bible from cover to cover. Mm. And that's basically what I did. 
And for me, it was like certain stories wasn't kind of adding up. I would feel like there's a chop or change in the, in the scenario or the narrative. And very soon after that, I actually asked Allah to guide me. At the time, you would know him as God, you know. And that actually, then I would start actually going to the masajid and things like that and learning more about Islam. Subhanallah, yeah. subhanallah. So can I ask you, when you, what was your first experience of going into a masjid? Okay, <laughs> very strange. Because obviously you walk into a masjid and you see everybody sitting on the floor. <laughs> Whereas yeah. in a church, everybody's <laughs> sitting in the benches, you know. And for me, it was quite strange for me to see this, you know. And the aspect I learned from this immediately was the fact that, that it's actually a sign of humility and respect you know what i'm saying to actually sit on the floor and that was very strange for me and when i walked into the masjid i actually had my shoes on and okay. and the caretaker of the masjid you know every masjid has a caretaker he greeted me and then i, I was like what are you saying to me because i don't know what assalamu alaikum means you know <laughs> i kind of knew it because of the friends that i had like they would just say salam 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 and i'm like okay what does that mean you know and he would say, you can't walk further than this. So I asked him why. But then I could see there's a tiled section and then there's like a carpet. Right. So it's like, no, you have to take your shoes off before you walk onto the mat. And then, okay. But then by then he knew, okay, this guy is not Muslim. And immediately when, when he said that to me, knowing with the knowledge of, of music that I have and the types of hymns we used to sing in the church, there is uh, a verse in the Bible where, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala instructed Musa alayhi salam, take thy shoes off for the place where thy stand is holy. You know what I'm saying? And um, this is exactly the first thing. that so This was my first experience, my real first experience, because for me, that made a lot of sense. Why are Muslims practicing what is in the Bible, but we as Christians, we're not practicing that? You know what I'm saying? And then I was like, okay, yo, this is like a totally different experience, you know? And I took my my shoes off and I walked onto the mataf, you would say. And yeah, that was actually my first real experience of Islam and then starting to learn more about Islam. Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. That's a, a pretty good experience because I've had uh, some people on here where they go into the masjid, they don't know where the, what's going on and they for some reason, walk, start walking into the women's quarters and then they, <laughs> and they get chased out. <laughs> so, so, so Abdullah, you just got told to take off your shoes. I chose the right door. <laughs> <laughs> Abdullah. Hey there. Brother Mark Adam here. I hope you're enjoying the episode. This podcast is still very new and we're looking to grow and reach out to more brothers and sisters from around the world. It would mean so much to us if you could share this podcast with just one person in your life. If not, could you leave a positive review on whatever podcast site you are listening to this on? It would really help. Jazakallah And now, back to the episode. Okay, so from then on, what did you start? How was the journey there? Did you start uh, going to the masjid more often, or did you start talking to more of your close friend about more about the religion? 
Yeah, basically from there onwards, I would actually, I remember that that, that time that I actually walked in was, it was, I think it was Maghrib on a Wednesday night. But by this time I'd been far gone already in, in, in the actual learning and understanding of Islam on my own, you know what I'm saying, but not actually going to a masjid yet. And I would say that through that period was probably about three months before I actually stepped into the masjid. But by then already, I was already far gone into actually learning what Islam actually is, but not actually walking into the masjid in terms of gaining an experience. You understand what I'm saying? And then by then I, I, I knew that Allah has no children. Allah has no wives and he's only one Allah, you know. And because of that, I actually would stop going to church. And now imagine you as a deacon, you stop going to church. I remember this one morning, very, this one Sunday morning, very clearly, I actually walked to the church and I stood in front of the church and I walked into the church. And you know what actually happened was they were about to have communion because I was late for church. And I, I knew by then I couldn't partake in this because it's for me, it, it, I wasn't Muslim yet, but it felt like shirk already. You know what I'm saying? Describing mm. partners to Allah, you know? And I, for that whole procession, I actually went to go sit down in the toilet. And I was waiting until the whole procession was over. And I actually, after that, I just walked out of the church and I never went to church again. So, so, so then <clears throat> coming back to now, actually gaining my first experience. And then actually that evening was Maghrib. And then the Imam at the time, I told him, listen, I'm Christian. I belong to this church that's just down the road from you, the New Apostolic Church. I would like to know more about Islam. And that's also where it took a new turn and I started learning more about the Deen of Islam, you know, because obviously in the masjid, you're gaining access to materials that you won't gain anywhere else, except if you were to go to a, how can I say, if you would go to some of the Islamic markets where I stay at the moment now, shop here and you could pick up any islamic material you know what i'm saying so <clears throat> on that i would get a lot of uh, information about islam and that's where actually that's how i actually learned a lot about islam you know and actually there were some saturday mornings i think i would sit with the imam like have one-to-one -one, um conversations with him and talk to him you know so so that's how my, how my love for the deen of allah grew actually you know oh yeah alhamdulillah Alhamdulillah. Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, that's a big step. Those are big steps yeah. for you to to do that as uh, as where you're from, as a deacon. So did people like around you, your, I, know, I know your family and friends, did you know what was happening or did they, did you let them on or how was it? Okay, what actually happened was, as I said, I wasn't Muslim at the time yet. And I would actually... I would actually say things on my Facebook like, Alhamdulillah, it's a beautiful day. Subhanallah, I had this experience. Inshallah, this is going to happen tomorrow. You know, I would start, I would already start using a lot of Islamic terms. You know what I'm saying? And this actually caught the attention of my auntie who was on my Facebook. And this became a huge problem <laughs> to the point where, because in my parents' home, we also had this policy where, where the doors of the rooms are always open. So I would gather up my Islamic material and I'd actually put it in the corner of my room. My parents knew, but they never would ask about it. I don't know why, but I just came to this one point where it was super intense, you know, and then what actually happened was my parents actually approached me 
on that day. But by that time, I'd been so far gone in the deen of Allah that my the tawakkul that I had and the yaqeen that I had was so great that, I mean, I was ready to face anything, you know. And when my parents said to me that day, listen here, we need to sit down and we need to talk to you. I already had feeling that something was going to happen. Then I found the imam of the area and I, and I said to him, listen, I have a feeling that my parents are going to put me out because of me learning about the dean and I have a feeling that we're going to have a, a meeting tonight and this is actually what's going to happen. And yeah, so I sat down with my parents and we kind of discussed and we spoke about what's actually happening. And they were shocked to hear that I would say to them that, you know, God is one and God is not three, you know. And I also said to them that there's no way in the Bible even that mentions the Trinity or anything like that. And they were, they weren't upset, but it almost like they had a look of disappointment and shock in their face to the point that the eyes almost fell out. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It, it was so severe. And the Sheikh then said to me, listen, don't worry about it. If anything happens, we will sort you out. You know, we will make a plan for you. So don't worry about it. And, but even before he said that to me, I had a lot of tawakul already, I had a lot of trust in Allah, you know, that if anything should happen, even if I should live on the street, I was content knowing this, that Allah is alone in his lordship and, and his kingship and in, in his names and his attributes, you know what I'm saying? And he has no partners, no children, no wives, you know. For me, that was good enough, even if I had to live on the street. And my parents then said to me, listen, my name was Dale at the time. Dale, if this is what you believe in, we need to, I'm sorry, we can't serve two gods in this home. And in my mind, I had a slight chuckle because it's like you guys, or not you guys, but I'm like, but my parents are serving three gods <laughs> in a sense. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So so I was like, okay, you know what? If that is how it is, then it's fine. Then I will, I will leave, you know? And I remember packing my vehicle with everything that I had except my bed. I even had my spare car tires in the garage that I put in my car because this was it. <laughs> I was gonna, I was ready to leave, but this, this was it, you know. And the last, the last item that I had that I carried out with me was actually my Quran, which I had in my pillowcase. Because from what I was told or understood is that you don't let dust settle on the Quran because it's a book of Allah. You know what I'm saying? And his words are true and it's pure, you know. And my parents. Actually, they had a laughter of jest at me, but I think they were also scared in the sense that, is he really doing this? You know what I'm saying? Like, it was very scary for them to see that, you know, our son is just up and he's going to leave now, you know? And that is exactly what happened. And I went to the imam and I said to him, listen, this is exactly what happens. I said, don't worry. We have made a plan for you to, to, to stay somewhere for the night. And we can discuss it again uh, or the furthest what what we what we plan to do the next day. And for me, I was like, you know what, Alhamdulillah, man. This is this was pure tawakul. You know, you were ready to leave with everything in there. Allah has already made a plan for you. And you're not even Muslim yet. You know, I remember firmly saying at the time I would actually put my my head down in the direction of the Qibla before this this happened. And I asked Allah, you know, just to guide me, you know. And I wasn't even Muslim then. But knowing from what the Bible says, even about all the Anbiya, if you actually read it, and you would say, and they buried their heads in the sand, 
and they put their faces in the ground. And even Nabi Isa salam, when he asked Allah to remove the, the trial from him where the people wanted to crucify him, we obviously know that he was never crucified. Um, where they were putting forth this trial to him, it says, and he went a little farther and he put his head in the ground. And that is exactly what Muslims do. You know, so I was like, there's no such thing then as Judaism. There's no such thing as Christianity where the prophets were concerned. Because this is, they're all doing the same thing. So that means mm. they're all worshipping the same Lord, you know, and they're all doing the same thing. And then, so then after that, I actually lived at the masjid for a whole year. I lived at the masjid for a whole year. I had no other place to go. And for me, subhanAllah, it was, I, I don't think I have any experience other than being married. And if Allah grants me hajj, me and my wife hajj, inshallah. Inshallah. Up until now, that was, that for me, that was the, that was it, you know, that's the cream of the crop, you know, it was so beautiful. So, so yeah, that's what actually happened when my family found out. <laughs> yeah. SubhanAllah, thank you for sharing that. It must have been, uh, this is one of the things that I always think to myself is that how lucky I am to be a born Muslim. Because I always think that maybe uh, if I was not, would I have had the courage to, to do so myself? So actually your story is very inspiring, brother. SubhanAllah, are you amazed at Brother Daniel's background before he became a Muslim? Just to leave your family like that is something quite hard for most people to do. I'm not sure if I could do it myself. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on whichever platform you are currently listening to this episode on so that you can find out what happens next on Brother Daniel's journey back to Islam. Also, a reminder to join us on our social media channels, on our Facebook page, facebook.com, Big Muslim Family, and on our Instagram, at Big Muslim Family. We would love to connect with you there. Before I go, I just want to say a big, massive thank you for all you brothers and sisters listening to this. And once again, if you could support us and share this podcast with at least one person, that would be amazing. Jazakallah khair. Once again, I'm your host, Brother Mark Adam. Inshallah, I will see you in the next episode. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.